Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside and the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, Hunting Camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm your host, Craig Hales. Geez, it feels like ages since I've had to do an intro. A little bit rusty. I've had to think about this one. Well, guys, uh, middle of the red deer and fallow rut here in Australia. It's, uh, well, geez, it's been a tough start, hasn't it? It's uh, been a quite few weeks. Still plenty of animals hitting the ground and, and some beauties as well. You know, some of the fallow we've seen come through and some of the red deer we've seen shot is, you know, I guess it throws a little, a few of our worries out that it was, you know, the dry was going to have an effect on antler growth and things like that. But uh, I definitely think the the full moon and, and probably the dry and um, and obviously the heat sticking around, especially here in New South Wales and I know down south, uh, it's been a little bit the same. It's making things a little bit tough. A lot of the action at night, which uh, obviously makes the days quiet and long. Uh, plenty of plenty of sleeping through the middle of the day to try and. You know, make the hours go past to, you know, hopefully it cools down a bit and, and get stuck back into them. So I uh, spent three days on them last weekend. Unfortunately, that's all I had uh, to get out in the bush, you know, just to do other other commitments. Um, but, uh, you know, a good few days, did plenty of Ks, uh, but same thing again. As I said, you know, the, the rut was just slow, just just little action through the day. And, <clears throat> excuse me, if you did hear anything through in the mornings, it was short and sharp. But uh, but no excuses, you know. There's guys out there getting it done, so good on them and keep it coming. It's good to, good to see, and I'm I'm sure we've still got a uh, a few weeks, of, especially the fellow, still got a few weeks to see, you know, what what comes about. So this week's episode is Tony Gillahan. Uh, we recorded this one uh, pre the ex- expo. It was um, we uh, we cover a, a variety of topics actually and you know how Tony got into hunting in general and uh, what he gets up to these days and hunting Samba and that down south and also hunting with his dog Remy um, just a little bit of spin on, on what's out there and you know how you can hunt deer and etc so it, uh, it was a good chat and, and, I, and I learned a lot so um, Tony speaks really really well and um, you know he's a, he's a load of info and um, it was great to meet up with him down at the expo and um, finally put a a face to a few of the names down there. It, um, yeah, it was a great time down at the expo. I've really had a ball and, and already looking forward to the next year. It um, should be a, well, following year, I suppose, or every second year, aren't they? So, um, yeah, really looking forward to that one. Anyway, guys, let's jump straight to this episode. Toddy Gillahan. Hope you enjoy this one. Cheers. Well, guys, welcome to the hunting camp down under. Got a great guest today uh, by the name of Tony Gillahan. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries, buddy. It's uh, you're off cruising on holidays the last week, so I couldn't get you further through the week. But um, caught a few fish, I see. Yeah, got a few. Awesome. I like it, like getting up the coast every now and again and doing something a little bit different from hunting. Oh, that's a terrible problem you've got there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough life, man. Ah, uh, very good. Well, mate. Um, as always, mate, we probably need a bit of an intro for the ones that uh, that don't know you. Um, mate, what's the, the little bio on Tony? Uh, well, I'm 25. I've been hunting since I was a little kid. I've got my own YouTube channel, so I do a lot of mainly samba hunting, but I sometimes get out in the fallow as well and just try and video a lot of 
hunting content. So I've been doing that for you know quite a few years now. So yeah, it's basically wraps me up in a nutshell. <laughs> Real small one, but you, you obviously um, you know you you live in a, a good part of the world, especially for the samba hunting. But um, have you done sort of much? You know other species other than the samba, and you know you just mentioned fallow, fallow as well. We're obviously coming up to the fallow rut. Um, are you going to get in after them, or? Yeah, definitely try to get after you know the odd buck, but up where I am, it's pretty difficult. The there's a sort of a fine line between property management and culling deer for property owners. So that's yeah, it's sort of a an issue that I think every probably person has on, on access up here is the farmers just want everything shot, but you've still got to try and look after the genetics a little bit too. But yeah, I just try and mainly take out the does or the young sort of fellow bucks or the spikers, try and take out the young ones and leave the slightly older ones to hopefully grow into something a bit better. Yeah, for sure. So you obviously, you know, you're trying to, I guess show the show the property owner that you you're getting the numbers down, but at the same time you you are trying to manage a, I guess a trophy head for yourself at the same time. Yeah, well, I, I think shooting does is probably the biggest thing. I try and something like earlier on in the year, I was, I was shooting quite a few sort of younger spikers and that because there was no does around, and the owner was messaging me wanting me to go out and shoot deer. So that's what we did. Unfortunately, you know, there was no does floating around, so we just had to shoot what we saw, but we just tried to sort of prioritise the younger deer and let the slightly older ones have a chance later on. But later on in the year, if, you know, if there's no no quality bucks around, I'll just be tipping over does, and that helps reduce the population and still lets the bucks have a chance to grow out. Yeah, for sure. Do you see much of a... Um, like in, in your past experience, have, do you see much of a rut down there given the, the amount of pressure? Um, there's obviously a few numbers down there, but do you see any sort of real rut activity, you know, end of March, um, sort of running into mid-April? Hit and miss and mainly just on pressure. Yep. If, yeah, if, if we go to a property and it's sort of backing onto state forest and things like that, you might hear them croaking for a couple of days and that'll be it. That'll be their rut. Okay. Because... Yeah, it's not uncommon to be out camping and just hearing gunshots all day, all night. <laughs> so it, it's just one of one of those places. It gets it gets pretty hard, and there is a lot of deer there. So it's, I mean, it's kind of to be expected that it's going to get hit hard. Yep. Unfortunately, as I say, there's just not that much quality, and then anything that's sort of mid-age, you know, like the three and four-year-old bucks, they're not you know not real big at that age up where i am but they get shot pretty quick too so it's pretty hard finding something decent unless you've got very limited prop like exclusive access to a property where you can manage it a lot better but i don't really know of yeah many that shoot very good heads up where i am it's just not very common sure and if uh you know when you do get the chance are you heading out with a bow or you sort of you mix it up with a bow and the rifle or Mix it up. If if a quality head that I wanted to put on the wall came out, I wouldn't even hesitate with the rifle. But anything else, yeah, I, I generally like taking the bow because it's a little bit more challenging. Sure. But lately I've also been doing a little bit of long-range shooting as well, so that's been a, a new venture that I've sort of started. And so I've been doing a, 
a lot more of that lately as well, just because it's new and exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to keep mixing it up for sure. But uh, yeah, take, definitely. Taking it back, you know, um, tell us a little bit about you know how you originally picked up the bow. You know, who were you introduced by? Were you, you know, was it a family member or um, tell us a little bit about getting into the bow hunting? I honestly can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but when I met a bloke at work that I found out was into bow hunting and I can't remember whether I had a bow before I met him or not. And he he had said about how he'd been, you know, bow hunting for Samba and, and whatnot and I ended up ordering a PSC Sting off eBay for like 350 bucks, all set up. Yep. And that was when the, the US dollar was, you know, it was good time for us to buy from the States. Got it sent over from the US for 350 bucks, and I went out and shot a few rabbits with it. And then I, I'm like 99% sure it was the first time I ever took it after deer and I shot a stand behind with it. <laughs> and, I, and I sent a photo to my mate that, from work that had basically introduced me to the bow and he he'd set up all like set up the bow and tuned it and everything with me. Yep. And yeah, I sent him a photo after my first trip and I've got this dead hind on the ground and I'm like, this isn't that hard. <laughs> and he'd, he'd been like chasing Sam for like three years and hadn't shot one with his bow yet. <laughs> so he called me up basically just said that I was a tin ass. <laughs> I think there's a few people cursing you right now. So <laughs> Sorry, guys. Craig decided to have a brain fart here and uh, discuss a uh, an episode that uh, had not yet been released. So uh, Tony got a little bit confused. So sorry, guys. Um, and the audio changes. So bear with me. Cheers. Yeah, we obviously had uh, you know Aiden Moses on on last episode, and uh, you know he was introduced to um, to Samba. Obviously, you've done the same thing. You know, shooting a hind. You know, did that sort of you know create the the attraction to Samba or was it more because it was the opportunity? I had already been chasing Samba with the rifle previous to that. The, the bow was just basically I'd, I'd already shot a few with the rifle and then the bow was just to make it a little bit more challenging. I think a lot of people can relate to that. They, you know, you start on one sort of venture, whether it be rifle shooting or bow shooting or whatever. And then you move on to something a little bit more tricky, a bit more challenging. And the bow was just that prime example. So after I got the hind with the bow, then I was, you know, pretty keen to try and get a stag with the bow and get start get fallow deer and whatnot with the bow. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely helped fuel the bow hunting side of things. The, the fact that... I knew that what I'd just done, so I got it on my first trip, got this hind on my first trip, but I knew that that wasn't the norm. I was just, <laughs> I happened to be in the right place at the right time and she fed down towards me like I was just, she was just down behind some blackberries and I was just up on the side of the face and, yeah, she just walked out. And it was, I think it was like 34 yards and when I sent the arrow, she just dropped on the spot and just rolled down the hill. Oh. It was It was like she'd been hit by a rifle. It was... Yeah, I didn't even need to track her out because she just dropped and rolled. So, yeah, I think I think that was pretty cool because I I knew that it wasn't easy, but I just it felt easy that day. And then after you know multiple bow hunting trips later, I realised that how lucky I was that first time. <laughs> I guess uh, you know for those that are out there rifle hunting and, and hopefully listening to this podcast and, and thinking about going you know with the bow. 
what uh, you know, what would what were some of the things that you carried, um, you know, from your rifle experience that you carried in? I know you, you were a little bit green, obviously, when you when you picked up the bow, but um, you know, putting your first kill aside and, and, and moved, you know, move forward with the bow hunting. What were some of the things that you really brought over to that? I'd already had a pretty good idea on you know locating deer, good sort of deer area, deer sign feed you know things like that sheltered gullies so i think a lot of that carried over pretty well the the main difference was working out how i was going to get in close so a, a lot of it i started with by sitting sitting and waiting yeah and funnily enough that they never had a whole lot of luck with sit and wait hunts yeah there was a few times, you know, deer would come out, but wind would change and whatnot. And basically, I think, what have I shot? I think I've shot five or six sandwich bow, and I don't think any of them were on sit and wait hunts. Every every single one of them was stalking. So that that carried over with the rifle because. I'd already stalked with the rifle for quite a long time and I'd, you know, shot a few deer in close range. So, you know, patience is probably the biggest, biggest thing that you could, you know, the biggest word you could use to describe it because I don't know how many times, yeah, you know, it gets to seven or eight in the morning and the sun's starting to beam down on you and you, you know, you just think, oh, well, the hunt's over and then you start being noisy and then you've got a deer honk at you, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> a couple of seconds later and that oh. were within bow range. Or the, the other afternoon, actually, I was out and I was just cruising up this dry face. It's real, like, real dry and crunchy. And I've, I've known deer have come out on this face for ages because I always see them come out. So I was just slowly creeping up this face. And it was getting darker and darker, and I probably only had like 10 minutes of shooting light left. I had my bow, and Remy was with me, and we're just slowly cruising up this hill, trying not to snap too many cornflakes and twigs. <laughs> and and I was sort of nearing the top, and I thought, I should have seen deer by now because they should have come out onto the feed down the bottom. So I just sat down, and when I sat down, I like, must have as I've sat down, I've stood on this twig without realizing, <laughs> and it just went crack. And then ten meters behind me, this hind just goes honk, and then six or seven deer ran off. And they they were all within bow range. I just had not seen them. And it was just yeah, it's just one of those things that <laughs> if I if I hadn't sat down, if I just stayed standing and waited a little bit, I probably would have you know would have been able to get an arrow away at an unalert samba, but that's just the way it goes. <laughs> that close. Do you think what that's what a huge attractor to samba is, you know, because they you generally, let's call it, you're sort of fighting close quarters with them, but sometimes having absolutely no idea that they're actually there. Do you think that's, you know, a big attraction to them? Definitely. Like they don't, they don't make many noises. They do make some funny little noises every now and again, but, it's it's very hard to know if they're there. Like it's not like a fallow buck croaking or a red stag roaring or anything like that. You've you've basically got to get right into their environment and try and you know outsmart them. You can't just follow a 
you know, a trail of vocals to to find where they are. You've got to get right in amongst it and sort of work out, is that sign fresh? Are they feeding here? Like one of the big things is like walking game trails and just seeing, you know, are they browsing on any of this, you know, plant matter alongside the game trails? Is it fresh? Are the prints fresh? Is the deer shit fresh? Things like that. That's it's a real big part of it. And for a sand hunter, if you start seeing fresh sign or you can start smelling stag or anything like that, you know, you know you're in the right area, but you still don't know exactly where they are because they're very hard to pinpoint, especially in a, you know, choked up gully. Sometimes you'll hear a stag rubbing his antlers or whatnot. If, if they're rutting, you'll, you'll hear them making a bit of noise. But the hinds are probably, yeah, they don't really let you know that they're there at all. <laughs> Unless unless they stomp at you or something, which yeah. they do quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> but then they're already pegged. Like you're you're already you know they're onto you. So it's once once a sam is onto you, it's almost impossible to get a narrow away without them string jumping or without them taking off as you come to full draw or anything like that. They seem to be a deer that um you know look and I I'm a total. Uh... Samba rookie, I've, I've never chased them, I've never experienced them, but you know, from what I follow on social media and, and the guys like yourself that I talk to, they seem to be, like especially the stags, they seem to be very, uh, well, they love a wallow. Um, is that only a certain time of the year when they're running in that, or is are, are they, can you sort of pattern them throughout the year with their wallows and things like that? Um, sort of varies. We've, we've had stags on trail cameras, you know, hit wallows at all times of the year. Even even if the wallow's dried up, it's still it's almost like a a community spot for Samba. There's always a chance that something's gonna come visit the wallow, even if it's dried up and they'll just walk on by or it's but in saying that, I've sat on a lot of wallows and I've <laughs> never shot never shot anything over a wallow. Yeah. And it's and the like the trail cam footage I've got as well sort of proves that they're there. Very, very difficult to pattern. A lot of them don't have a pattern. Okay. They just, they're just where they are, and only, only they know <laughs> why they're there, <laughs> at, at what times of the day and whatnot. It's, you know, sometimes we'll have a stag visit visit the same sort of spot or same wallow every day for a week and then gone. Yeah, won't see it. Won't see it ever again. <laughs> So, yeah, they're, they're very tricky and that's probably like I don't put a whole lot of effort into the trail cameras. My missus, she has a couple out and, you know, she likes just what, like studying their behaviour and whatnot. Yeah. She she really enjoys that and, you know, we get a few wild dogs on the cameras too, which is good to try and, you know, get them out for the farmers. Yeah. But, but for me personally, I'm not real fast on trail cameras because as i say there's just no real uh there's no real certain certainty to patterning them yeah there might be the it might be the odd deer that would be the exception to the rule but yeah in my experience it's hit and miss (laughs) do you feel that uh you know obviously like and and i love the the trail cam pics you know and you know, to be honest with you, without a microphone, we wouldn't see so much on social media because um, they're obviously a challenging deer for people to harvest. But um, yep. do you feel that they can give a little bit of a false, um, you know, obviously, you, once again, you said you've you seen that stag on the camera for a week. If you had seen him for five days, 
or seen him doing that and, and not known that he, and pulled the camera on the sixth day um, and obviously he'd left on the, the afternoon of the sixth day. Do you feel that they could, you know, cameras, game cameras can give you that little bit of false, uh, I don't know the word to use, but um, you could be sitting in the same spot for a long time and, and, and be disappointed because, but you've seen him on the camera for, for a week. Yeah, quite possibly. I think that's, in my experience with cameras, I've, I just felt like that I was sometimes going there just to check the camera and I felt that it wasn't a good time to be hunting the area or anything. I was just going there to check the camera. And I, if, if I was ever going somewhere to check a camera, I always hunted it because it just made sense to carry a rifle because if you didn't, it'd be Murphy's Law and a giant stag would run out. <laughs> yeah, every time. What, uh, but, what do you think... What do you think is the most consistent thing when you've harvested, you know, a, a stag, whether with rifle or bow? What's been the most consistent thing that you've picked up either just before you've you've taken the shot, or just after? Have you pieced something together that's been the the glue, so to speak, in in, in um, your success? To be honest, the only consistent thing is my persistence. Okay, and I've. I think that would apply to a lot of people. There's uh, quite a few of my mates, generally the ones that are sending me videos and photos of big stags, they're out a lot. Yep. They're out, you know, 52 weekends a year, out, you know, doing not so much big, you know, big Ks on foot, but a lot of glassing. Yeah, uh, basically just putting a lot of time in, whether it be glassing or stalking. That seems to be the, the the common the common theme with with a lot of the deer, like with Sambra in, in particular, in my opinion. I, I haven't really. I mean, some mornings I've gone out and thought oh, I'm not going to see anything this morning, and I'll see a stag. And then other mornings where you think it's just pristine, there's a new moon, a little bit of frost on the ground, the sun's coming out and shining on the right side of the face and whatever, and you'll yeah. see nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit like the old fishing story, you know, you've got the right tide, the, the right moon phase and all like that. You're meant to go and catch, you know, uh, you know, the, the target species, so to speak, and, and you're yeah, yeah. severely disappointed. Yeah, that's right. Like, I don't even generally, I won't even check, occasionally I'll check the weather, but I don't check moon phases. I don't, I don't care about any of it because I just go out. And if I see deer and get a deer, then sweet. If not, well, I've taken the dog for a walk and I've gone for a walk and it's just better than being in town. <laughs> That's definitely. You mentioned your dog. Um, hound hunting fascinates me and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a lover of it. That I'm a lover that's never done it. Um, obviously, yep. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I love my dog sort of thing. And tell me a little bit about that, you know, how, how you got started with the hounds and, and how you've progressed um, you know, from once again, from the rifle to the bow, you know, how has that, how's that transition been with you, you know, with, with the dogs? Well, I started like good mate, John Nichols. He, he has this, this bitch called velvet and I'd, I don't even know how we really got associated, but we somehow did. <laughs> Can't remember. He, he's probably, he'll probably listen to this and be like, Oh, it was because of this, but <laughs> We we met up and hunted uh, a couple of years ago, and he shot a twenty-eight inch stag or something. And he had his dog with him, Velvet, and I was like, I was in basically 
I was just impressed by the way she worked and kind of the way they, you know, they complemented each other. Mm-hmm. So he, he's quite an experienced hunter and and it was cool to see just that basically the, the bond that they had while they were out doing their thing. So I ended up getting a pup off him when she had litter and basically it was just like my parents have had working dogs on that. So I already had a pretty good idea on, you know, training dogs, but I'd never had a hunting dog before. And I, yeah, I just started taking her hunting and just doing what I was already doing, but just bringing her along and just, I probably hunted a lot more ever since I've had her because she's given me more of a reason to go hunting, I guess. Yeah, Some, sure. you know, the, the old morning, I'd, you know, the alarm would go off at three in the morning or whatever, and I would be like, yeah, I can't be bothered hunting. But then, I'd think, oh, I better take the dog out. <laughs> yeah. So, Extra responsibility that you know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But I guess it was just just like another venture. It's just it keeps it keeps hunting exciting. Yeah. And I definitely like I've, that's probably been the most exciting part for you know I've done the rifle shooting and the bow hunting and the I'm doing a bit of long range now, but getting the dog. And even, you know, even videoing the hunts, that was another sort of added added challenge to everything. But getting the dog was probably probably the biggest one in terms of, I guess, satisfaction when I'm out there because I feel like I'm, I'm doing it more, more like I'm doing something for more than just me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. No, it definitely <laughs> does. I mean, it... As I said, it's something that's fascinated me. You know, step us through, you know, just a general day um, bow or rifle. You know, you're getting to your, your property or, or, you know, the forest that you're going. Sort of what's sort of the plan, you know, for someone, as I said, that hasn't ever hunted with dogs? You know, what's the sort of a day-to-day sort of uh, step through? Depends on the area and the spot I'm going. Like ideally with the dog, you want to be – if, if you're in some semi-open bush, you're just going to go wherever the wind's in your face yep. and, and try and try and use the dog to indicate deer. So you'll be, you know, stalking along. And if, if she puts her nose up, then I know that there's deer nearby mm-hmm. if the wind's in our face. And then basically just stalk in and whether you watch them or shoot one, whatever. But a lot of the country I hunt, you can't you can't utilize the wind in that sort of way. A lot of the times the wind might be sort of in your favor, but it's not really in your favor with hunting with a dog. So a lot of the time she, you know, with, with my hunting, she's always in front. She's probably about 10 meters in front of me and she'll just basically stick it around that, that level in front of me. And depending how fast I'm stalking or walking, that's, you know, she'll sort of just follow suit, but ahead of me, and I just watch her body language. Yeah. If you know, it, it, sometimes she'll just see something before she can even smell it, because as I said, the wind's not always ideal in some of the spots I go. And yeah, then I can mm-hmm. work out yeah whether I'm going to take the deer or or just try and locate it is <laughs> probably one <laughs> one of the bigger things because yeah. quite often they're in thick bush and trying to just pick apart the bush with the you know with the swarrows and try and work out where it is. 
and hope that it's not already on to me. <laughs> yeah, that's always a big one. Um, I mean, on command, you know, obviously once once an animal spotted uh, on command, does, does she then wait for you to have the stalk? Was she always with you, or how does that work? Yeah, she she'll wait, and I don't know whether you've seen. I put up a video the other the other week where I actually arrowed a, a sick sand behind. Well, I think it was sick. Something wasn't right with it. And as I was stalking in, like I had myself, the deer, and Remy all in frame, and I just did a little hand signal, and she just knew to, to wait back as I crept forward and come to full draw. So I've taught – all of that was taught basically on her daily walks. Okay. So I, I've, I've hunted with her a lot, and a lot of people sort of say, oh, you know, don't take your hunting dog hunting until they're two years old or some bullshit like that. Yeah. I just did my own thing, and it seems to be working pretty well. So, yeah, <laughs> but in, in saying that, there's, there's been a lot, a lot of training. Yeah, and consistent. Yeah, so it's I not think. something you're going to just, you know, you're going to grab a pup from someone and go, on, you know, I'm going to go hunting tomorrow with, you know, with a pup. Like it's, it's something that you've dedicated a lot of time to. Yeah, well, that's right. And I'd already, already, you know, worked out how to, you know, hunt deer and whatnot yeah. before getting yeah. a dog i think a lot of people probably go wrong in thinking that they'll get a dog and they'll suddenly become a great hunter yeah yeah i'm, not, I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm not saying i'm a great hunter by any means but i know how to locate deer yeah and if you can if you can locate deer with your dog and basically you know get them in that routine of you know this is the species we're targeting and and like with everything i mean in my opinion, the, the best sheep and cattle dogs are the ones doing it all the time, the ones with experience. And in, in my opinion, that carries over with hunting dogs as well. The ones that are doing it all the time are generally the ones that know what they're doing the best. You said that, um, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, you don't take them out for two years old or whatever they may say. Um, do you feel that there is a point that you would not take your dog to? Like you obviously do your training and you said your daily walks, but you know, is there a point that you say you're not quite ready yet, or um, are you just prepared to? You know, something might just blow up, and you know, so there. It, it, honestly, hard to comment because she's been my only only hunting dog. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, a dog's personality varies a lot, but in in my opinion. If, if you take something like a young dog out, they're generally, they're not going to piss off on you because they're young and basically defenseless. So they're just going to follow you along. And I, I mean, I had Remy out since she, since I first picked her up the very first weekend, seven weeks old, we went out and shot a deer with her. And she's been out basically every weekend since. And she's, you know, a bit over two years old now. And it's basically just all that all those early weeks where she was really young, she's basically learned he's my master. I need to follow him basically. Sure. Yeah. And I think that you know, created a really good bond and big trust. Yeah. There's, I don't know how people hunt with dogs on leads. That just makes no sense to me. If your dog's on a lead, in my opinion, then it probably shouldn't even be with you. <laughs> yeah, <fair laughs> I, I, I walk Remy, you know, across across the road and that off elite because I know she's not going to chase cars or do anything stupid. Sure. And it's funnily enough, like it's generally the even where I walk the dog, like walk Remy, the dogs that are on the leads, 
I think if they ever got off that lead, they're the sort of dogs that would get hit by a car. Yeah. Because the owner's got no control over them. Exactly, yeah. I, I just don't have that issue. So, it, but as I said, I, I could be off the, off the mark there with a lot of dogs because they've got dis- different personalities. But if, I mean, I, I, I like Remy's a German wire pointer and I would, if, if something ever happened to her, hopefully it doesn't. But if it did, I'd, I'd get another one in a heartbeat because yeah. they're just very willing to please. There's there's no real, you know, sometimes she gets a little bit strong-headed, but not really, not very often, rarely have to do any disciplining. Just very easy to train and just always wants to please you. Yeah. I was like, I grew up with a German short hair pointer. Um, yep. My dad had them when he was younger and, you know, same thing again. There wasn't a lot of, I guess, you know, training is in the way of, um, you know, discipline training. It was more in a field training. Um, yep. And it was just, you know, we, we got one. We were lucky enough to give him one as a pup. Um, lady couldn't handle it. And, um, yeah, small house and all those kind of that story. And, how, how often do you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're point of that they certainly need their space. But, you know, his, his yeah. name was Otto. He's a big brown. And he was everything. He was, uh, you know, we're... Unfortunately, we never trained him properly, and, and to this day, I, I still regret that. But at that point in, in time, I was a younger. We weren't hunting like we do now. But I will get yeah. another one. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of bird hunting. You know, I love love chasing quail and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, well, I can't wait to get another one. Um, and it was just funny when you said you had a white hair pointer. It it just brought back <laughs> memories of actually how how clever and how smart they are without actually oh, they're, they're, they're any natural kind of training. They're natural, yeah. Yeah, even Remy on quail, I, I have absolutely zero interest in, in quail or ducks or anything. But the other day we were walking back from – we had been out in a morning hunt and Remy was just pointing quail. Every every you know every 10 or 15 metres, she'd just stop and point and start creeping in and she'd yep. be just locked to the ground and there'd be a quail. There. I've never even – she's never, you know, never been over a dead quail before. She was just – natural instinct was just a point quail <laughs> yeah that's crazy i mean i um obviously everyone knows I, I just came back from new mexico last month and um you know while we'll, we're at the florida mountains chasing the uh the ibex and there was a day i think it was about day three we just did a loop around the mountain and it sort of takes you the best part of the day while tommy glass and you know all the way around and we heard these yep. we'd heard these shotguns going off and um obviously it's all public land around it so you know uh, we come around and um, come on, there's a rise and hear these, these three guys and just turns out, so we're in New Mexico, if anyone, hopefully everyone knows the geography in, in America, but these guys were from New York. So I don't know how many thousands of miles of driving that is. And these guys were actually, <laughs> these guys were actually doing a, a, a four week trip just with the dogs, um, point and quail wow. and they'll chasing, they'll trying to shoot all the species of quail in one trip. They were from some club. Um, and the gear was, I've never seen anything like it. They had this full truck decked out. There was, as I said, there was three of them. They had the cages for the dog and, and it was funny. One of them was a white hair pointer. Yep. And, um, and yeah, they, the dogs were kings. So, you know, the setup was unbelievable and, you know, they had all the get up. They had the, they had the pants, the boots, the key. It was something, <laughs> you know, you'd see, you'd see on television, but and these they guys, were full blown serious. They, they were into it, and uh, you know, here we are rocking up, you know, chasing the Ibex, and they just 
they didn't even know they were there, you know what I mean? They said, oh, there's plenty of other guys walking around with bows around here. It's like, yeah, no, there's Ibex here. And anyway, we helped them out, but it was just funny that, you know, obviously the wide air pointer and pointers in general, um, yeah, they're hard to beat as far as the intelligence side of things go. Yeah, yeah, just the, the instinct is in- incredible. Like, you don't really need to do that much training with them. It's more getting the basic obedience down is probably the biggest thing and then and then carrying that over to the hunting. Yeah, yeah. How do you go now? Um, and I'll, I'll, so hopefully this comes out the right way, but how do you go hunting without Remy now? Um, you know, how does things change? Do you really rely upon it now? And obviously, Sam hunting is so difficult in its own right anyway. Um, but, you know, how do you go when she doesn't go? The only real time she doesn't come with me is if, if she's gone with my missus. So yeah. if, yeah, if, if Alana's gone off to another gully, sometimes she'll take the dog, sometimes I'll take the dog. And, yeah, the only real time... I won't have it with me as if if it's you know that sort of scenario, but it doesn't really change anything in terms of locating deer, because quite often you know if if that sort of scenario is happening, we're on private property. There's yeah, you know, I'm not really in thick bush. In thick bush, I probably would miss looking at her body language. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah. Just, I would, I would definitely miss seeing if she was reacting or scenting to deer, something like that. I don't think I'd have any problems finding, still finding deer, but it's also I, I'd just, I'd miss probably the company. Yeah. Like, but before I got her, I used to go backpacking and whatever all by myself, and I'd be yeah out every single weekend by myself, you know, three or four days a week, and that was cool. And I, you know. I don't mind my own company. That that didn't bother me at all. But since having Remy, I think it would probably bother me more. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was going to go on a solo backpack hunt, I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, yeah, for with, sure. Without having without having the dog. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, that's uh, you know, it shows you how sort of, I guess you know, committed to the to the dog you are as well as as much as we say that the dogs are committed to us. Um, yeah, it's good to see. Yeah, yeah, ways. it's just it's it's just basic. It's it truly is like having your best mate there. And yeah, if, if she wasn't there, then it would be like my best mate wasn't there, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, the guy I spent some time in uh, talking about New Mexico, but the my buddy over there that um, does the guiding and that he's a massive line like mountain lion hunter. Um, yep. You know, she just loves it. It's his favorite thing. And you know, I think he runs fifteen hounds. I think, and I'm not going to quote. The, the breed because I'll, I'll stuff it up but um, but the same thing with him he know you know the, the whole lot of them are his buddies you know what I mean and, and lives for yep. can't wait to get him back out he was up me because he wanted me to hurry up and shoot an Ibex so we can go to the mountain line hunt um, <laughs> I would love to do that oh mate and I was keen too don't get me wrong if you know if that <laughs> had to come off early uh, that's what we'll do we'll, we'll, we'll head to the hills doing that off and he does off horseback so he's oh, on the awesome. horses and um, yeah, he he. The dogs are dogs are in front. I don't, know, I don't know if I've ever seen. I've like I've seen videos where they're in where they're in vehicles and they're driving yep. like just snow covered tracks and they'll find yep. a fresh mark and get a start. Yeah. And every time I watched their videos, I was like, I I want to do that one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, the you know the snow stuff and the dry ground stuff too. You know the stuff when it's it's dry, there's no snow. Um, yeah, and then that's, they end up on faces. Yeah, then you know. And it has you know only from his 
him telling me, but then you know you you got good dogs when they they're on the dry ground. And but uh, anyone yeah. that's uh, anyone that's listening, check out Borderland Outfitters um, Instagram or whatever. Matt there, he's got some photos, and I think he's got some footage on his website, Borderland Outfitters. It's pretty awesome stuff to watch. So um, one day I'll get over there and do it for sure. Yeah, that that would definitely be a lot of fun. I actually I did. I went out a couple of times on the hounds for Samba yep. last year, which was which was good fun. And the crew let me take Remy with me as well, so she had a little orange vest on. And <laughs> and the plan is to to go out again, and I eventually want to do a video, basically, on on, on the hound hunting because it's something I hadn't really done, and it was a like it's a, a lot different to what I'm used to. Sure, but at the at the same time would yeah i sort of wanted to get a, a better understanding of it and i can definitely see the appeal it's a very sort of social thing yep. and yeah hopefully i can you know release a video later this year with after you know hound season starts and it opens up hopefully i can get a video out of that just to, for something a bit different there's yeah. probably a lot of people that still look at it in a very negative light and they probably should try it before they <laughs> like most things yeah, yeah, and I mean, I was probably guilty of it when I was younger. I was probably guilty of it too. And then, as I've gotten older, I start to think, you know, there's there's more than one way to do thing. And if if it's if it's legal and ethical, then yeah. then why not? And yeah, I actually had quite a lot of fun when yeah. I was out. Take it, take us through that. I mean, obviously, you know, you're using your dog and and in the way you do, but step it up into the, you know hound hunting if you want to you know use that uh, that term step us through how how that runs i'm i'm fascinated in all that stuff and uh you know always stay very open-minded and um step us through you know roughly how that sort of day planned out well to, to start the day i had to put remy in the dog boxes with with some beagles and harriers <laughs> <laughs> which which she she absolutely hates dog boxes because she's spoiled rot with me she doesn't yeah. She has a whole back seat to herself in the car. <laughs> she doesn't doesn't normally ride in utes or you know in the back of a car or anything like that. She's always got a seat. So, so every time she has to go into a dog box, she's not real stoked on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically it started off, you know, putting all the dogs in the boxes, and then we'd go out to a ridge where. One of the one of the guys knew that. Well, I think he'd shot quite a few deer off this one ridge. So we walked. I can't remember how many dogs we walked down. It might have been six or seven dogs. And we we actually we walked down inside this ridge, and I think it was you know, can't remember how far we walked down. Felt like a long way. Eventually got a good start. So Remy, she's not on a lead or anything. All the the, the beagles and harriers they're on leads. Because mm-hmm. they're just going to go, aren't they? Yeah, but. To, you know, to this crew's credit, the, the dogs were very well behaved on leads, which okay. I thought I was just going to get towed through the bush. Sure. And basically that that didn't happen, which I was very surprised. <laughs> so I thought I'm just going to get taken for a ride. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I think I walked three dogs down. And Remy just, you know, she's never on a lead. She just trotted along beside me. We eventually found a start and – Set some dogs off, and Remy just had no interest. Like a, a lot of dogs would want to follow the other dogs mm-hmm. and run off, 
but she just you know, stuck by my side. And when you say start, that's the pick up a scent, is it or? Uh, fresh mark. Okay. And basically, what what the the you know the the crew guy he he would I think he got one of his more experienced dogs onto the mark, and if okay. it voiced, it was fresh. So it got onto this mark. The dog voiced. Off they went, and they ended up bailing, bailing the deer down on the bottom of this creek. And by the time we'd got down there, the deer had broken bail. It got rebailed, and he ended up shooting it. But it all happened so fast that I just I hardly got any footage. <laughs> so it's not a. I mean, I'm sure it can be a drawn out thing, but that you know that you know sort of you know I guess when you see a photo, it was, it was it looks more like it's it was been, more sitting there for ages but it, it obviously happens pretty quick it depends on the terrain i think because sure. th- this stuff was just so thick and like because i'm lugging around a tripod and you know the big camera on the tripod and that it's i was probably like 20 meters behind him <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that, that made it a little bit tricky trying to get trying to get some steady footage and the, the bush was so thick and ever since um, videoing my hunts, I've basically tried to avoid thick bush like the plague. So yeah, this bloke was just running through the thick bush like it was nothing, and I was you know trying to move every little bit of blackberry and <laughs> dogwood out of my way before yeah. I'd walk through. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna and, slow you up. <laughs> yeah, well, it did. <laughs> but yeah, and then like. A few of the other guys and the crew they ended up shooting deer as well, but unfortunately, like I just didn't get any footage of the the bail ups or anything like yep. that. So that's the that's the sort of goal this year is to to get back out with them probably a few weekends for the season. It's not, it's not something I could probably do every weekend. It's not mm. not something I can do probably full time, but I can definitely see the appeal. It's very sort of social and that you know they all love lighting a fire and kicking back and having a few beers and talking shit and whatever, which definitely, yeah, could definitely see that would be a good way to unwind after, you know, a long, long week at work. And, and as you say, the dogs are king, you know, they're pretty well looked after and well fed and they get rotated around if, you know, if a dog's had a big day, like on the Saturday, then on the Sunday, they'll rotate the dogs so that they've got a different dog running the next day kind of thing. Okay. And the dogs absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they absolutely love it. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell, you know, the excitement. Uh, I mean, even, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, that dogs are now to use for, you know, you, you know, just like the working dogs, people say, you know, oh, you're working your dogs too hard. It's like, you look at that thing go, you know, chasing cattle or sheep, whatever they're doing. Like, there's, they've literally got a grin on their face. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, I guess a lot of people that unfortunately, you know, don't get to spend the time around them like you guys do and or, you know, yourself with working dogs, you know, until you sort of get to experience that. It's I guess it's hard to get your head around. Yeah, yeah, well that's right. Like my parents, they got they got border collies and yeah, same thing. And my partner's parents, they got Kelpies. They just all they want to do is work sheep or work cattle. Yeah, yeah. If you're not if you stop, they're out trying to chase them again anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, well my parents have I've got like nine rams that are just sort of in a paddock real close to the house. <laughs> and it's not uncommon for, for, you know, one of their border collies just to be 
basically, he's not forcefully rounding them up, but he's just circling them nearly all day. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just absolutely loves it. Yeah, just keeping, keeping himself something to do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Mate, um, look, obviously, you know, we've, we've spoken uh, in depth and, and I really appreciate you sharing that, that experience, um, especially with the hounds and, and, and Remy, your dog. What other sort of hunting have you done? You, um, you said you mentioned you, you've done a bit of fallow. You sort of, you know, you've travelled throughout Australia. Have you done much more? No, I've the, the furthest I've like I've done a little bit in New South Wales with Nick Morton, and you've you've spoken with him. Yep. Before, so I went up went up there for a trip with him, and I think I arrowed a arrowed a little young boar, arrowed a thirty four inch billy. Um. Other than that, though, like when I was younger, I went up went up in the just over the border in Queensland, and you know we did a bit of rifle shooting on the pigs and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, there's been nothing, nothing else really, like no other trips. So it's definitely something I want to do more of, like try and focus on other species. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, I'm still very content with <laughs> with the samba, I guess. It's nothing wrong with that, mate. We're all sitting here wanting to get down and chase the amber. So it doesn't matter what you've got. You're always, uh, you know, you, you're, you've got a good thing in your backyard, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's They're just they're probably just because, like, I feel like that I'll never have them truly worked out. Yeah, and, yeah gotcha. And, and no matter how good I ever got, I'd still be you know, on a completely lower level than the Samba, basically. Especially especially with the bow hunting. Like, yeah. that's a, just well, a whole new world. I think that's <laughs> a good thing about it, you know, even, you know, everybody knows how much I love chasing boars in the hills through winter. Um, you know, yeah, you, you know, I've shot a few good ones and I, I, it's just, yeah, I can do it every year. It's not a question. It's not, oh, I don't feel yeah. like doing that. It, there's just something about him. I think it's like yourself with the Samba. You know, big old boy, he's hard to work out. You know, you think you got him done and then, you know, he's doing the complete opposite to what you thought he would do. And, and credit to the yep. boy, you know, Nick's one that, uh, you know, he's certainly got a few on the ground. And, you know, the boys like Paul Woods and Liam Woods, you know, they're, they're doing it consistently. Um, obviously, yep. putting the time in as well. They've obviously got their priorities, you know, sorted and, and allow themselves to get out there. And I really can put the two and two together between, you know, honey boars or any species for that matter, but the sandbar. It's all about time in the mountains. Um, yeah. And, and that's what's going to produce the results um, consistently. It's funny you say that because Nick and I have spoken about this before. Like, my basic my my obsession with Samba is like his obsession for for mountain balls. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing, and yeah, we've said the same thing that it's you know you've got to be out there to to get one. You can't you can't leave anything. You just can't be at home. You've got to got to just make yourself go out there as often as you physically can to you know to make it happen. And then it will happen, and then it'll probably be a while before it happens again. But yep. you've just got to keep going out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's yeah, you can save for everything, and uh, you know, try and obviously try and put the enjoyment side of things on it as well, and 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 obviously property access. You know, which I get plenty of questions through. You know, what's the best way to gain property access? And it's it's actually exactly the same 
um, story, you've got to be out there. You've got to be asking the question. You've got to have an ear to the ground. You know, if you, yep, and, and and not expecting it. You know, you've got to obviously put your hand up and you know do a little bit for the farmer or the property owner or, or who it may be. So um, it's funny. You know, it's it's all you know boots on the ground, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- exactly right. It sort of applies for everything. You mentioned that, uh, obviously, before we jumped on, you mentioned that you've got a trip booked in for April to go to New Zealand. Yes, you know, chasing tar for the first time. So that's, I think I've got all my gear sorted. I, I've probably forgotten stuff and I'll get over there and be like, damn it, I should have had this. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, but, you're going to mix that up a bit. So you, you, your partner's going as well, correct? Yeah, yep. She's going to take a bow. Yep. And I'll be taking my rifle. So she's she's taking the harder option. <laughs> you know what's going to be funny? She bags one, you don't. Oh, I would be stoked. <laughs> good boy, good answer. Very good answer. <laughs> I'd, I'd be I'd be more happy with that than if I got one and she did. <laughs> what uh, what's the expectation of it, mate? Just just get over there, enjoy the countryside, and and yeah, that happen. What happens? Pretty much, like I've never been there before, so. I've got mates that have been over there, you know, they go over nearly every year. So everything I've heard is just the scenery takes your breath away. So, yeah, basically the, the whole plan is just to go over there, enjoy the scenery, put put in some hard yards on the hunting and, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully take a representable tar and bring it back over home and then next year, well, the year after, take take the bow over and try and try and make something happen with the bow. You've got your um, obviously your YouTube channel, and on that, what is your YouTube channel? Um, it's my actual like YouTube name is just Tony Gillahan, so T O N Y G I L A H A N. But if you search TG Outdoors, all my videos will come up because I put that at the start of all my video titles just so it's easy to find if anyone wants to search it, just TG Outdoors. Beautiful. And lots of videos should come up. Awesome. Everyone check that out. Um, there's some good stuff on there. I've, I've been through most of it, not all of it. I've got some more catching up to do. I've got to be honest, <laughs> Born and Raised Outdoors has uh, got me at the moment. I'm about 15 episodes in on that one, so... Um, I've seen a bit of their stuff, I believe. Yeah, it's interesting. I've got to admit, it's uh, it's very different from what I suppose we're used to. It's, um, it's a little bit of hit and hope, but um, there's some funny stuff there. It's a good. It is a good. You know, it's very raw, very real. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's some questionable stuff, but you know, it uh, they'll certainly have fun with it. So it's um, it's a good watch actually. But uh, mate, obviously on the on the video <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. On the video stuff, you know, that, that does create another challenge and, and obviously you went through that when, you know, you're going over the hounds, um, you know, just trying to keep up and those kind of things. What drives you to keep persisting with the camera? Um, I've been I've had a lot to do with it. I've, I started doing it myself and I've been putting a little bit of stuff out of the footage I've been finding on hard drives and uh, half the stuff I forgot they even shot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah, what, what keeps you persistent at that? Probably the the biggest thing is just being able to go back and, and watch it. I, I guess it's like an old photo album. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been out and I think, why am I carrying this stinking tripod? <laughs> and 
you know, then like I, I rarely ever watch my own videos, but occasionally I'll, I'll go back and watch one from like a year or two years ago. And I'm, I think, oh, well, I'm glad I took the camera for that because that was, it just brings, it's like, a, it's like the photo album where you're like, oh, I remember that, that day or that trip or that time, that moment. And I think that's what the videos sort of do for me. And even now, I'm going to have mm-hmm. to come back to Remy, but watching some of the older videos when she's a little pup and I yeah. just crack up because, you know, it's like she was so little and we were just starting out kind of thing. And, yeah, I think it's just mainly the the memories kind of thing. It's They're always going to be there. And I, I like sort of sharing that with anyone that's interested in watching the videos. They can sort of get a bit of an insight into into what I do and and a lot of people aren't as privileged as me in terms of where I live and how often I can get out into the bush so I, I guess it's kind of good knowing that some people they may not be may not get to be out hunting all every weekend like me but they can still associate themselves with it I guess they yeah. can still you know, they can still watch Samba deer or watch the dog you know, the dog doing its thing. And, yeah, I, I guess that's the main motivation. I have no real, like, expectations of, you know, going full-time professional sure. deer hunter, cameraman extraordinaire <laughs> or anything like that because it's just unrealistic yeah. in Australia. Very hard to do. I think it's probably unrealistic in any country, really. Yeah, stand alone, But, yeah, yeah just, just more so for my – and. And I'm just used to carrying a tripod now. Like, yeah. I actually, I bought I bought another camera like just before you called me. <laughs> What'd you buy? Um, I bought a Sony RX10 Mark IV, which is Ooh. the new, the newest RX10. Yeah, flash. So, yeah, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. Your broker's anything right now? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pretty good price. Yeah, yeah, it's um, they're good. I've I've had a bit to play with. Uh, obviously, everyone knows my involvement with uh, Jerry and the Bowhunt Down Under boys. Um, yeah, he runs the I think it's RX two. Was it RX seven? Uh, Mark two. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, the A seven R probably. A seven R. Sorry, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm getting confused numbers there, but um, yeah, it was good having a play with that. Actually, I, I had that with me at um, over in New Mexico, and um, yeah, it was just good having a play. I sort of, you know, I'd, I'd run the, you know, the, the camcorder style sort of, you know, previous, and I sold that a few months ago because it sat in the cupboard and just wasn't getting used for the last probably a year and a bit. So, um, yeah, and I, and I must admit, I'm sort of, I'm getting really keen back in the still photography stuff, taking that to a sort of another level, and I think I'm gonna sort of put myself through. Maybe a few courses and stuff like that, just getting a little bit better on, you know, settings and that kind of thing. So just, you know, just trying to keep sort of on top of it all. I know it's changing all the time, but, you know, I think it keeps you interested. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, half the reason I got this this other camera. It just has that little bit more zoom. It's kind of an all-in-one do-it-all camera. It's not quite sort of professional level, but it's also... Definitely not beginner level. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. Because What's of the bloody price tag on it. <laughs> on that, what uh, you know, someone's potentially listening right now and, and thinking, "Geez, I would, I wouldn't mind um, 
doing a bit of filming and, and I'd probably like to be able to YouTube it or whatever you may do. What's a sort of good all-round sort of setup that you'd sort of recommend? Um, you know, you could probably do it in price, price ranges if you wanted to, but what what's come straight to mind, um, you know, for a good sort of entry-level setup? Probably the first thing that comes to mind would be, it, yeah, it depends on what you want to spend. Yep. A, a, lot, of, a lot of people run like the the Nikon P900s and things like that, but their sensors are just so small that the second the sun is even looking like, you know, when you're, you're looking at running out of light, they're just, there's a lot of noise. They're not real good at high ISOs. So they do have the zoom though. And a lot of people are getting good stuff with, with them. It's Mm -hmm. yeah. in my opinion, the RX10 Mark III and Mark IV are probably the two current best all-round hunting cameras you could probably get. But they do come with a heavy price tag because there's nothing else that really compares to them. The There's a Canon G3X, which is a couple of years old. Yeah, I've seen that one. It's, one it, of the boys got one of them. It's, you know, it's sort of comparable, but probably not of the same quality same size sensor but sony sensors are just dominating everything now and it's more and more people are turning to sony before that reason that you know they're a pain in the ass to use their menus suck (laughs) they don't have flip out screens but their sensors are just dominating so i've I've sort of worked like i'm using an a6300 at the moment and when when I first bought it, I nearly was nearly going to sell it straight away because yeah. I was used to used to using a Canon seventy D, and I got this Sony, and I just thought this thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so difficult to use, and but the quality is there. The, the the quality is there, and probably more so. I just once like my Canon seventy D ended up dying, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, looks like I've got to use this other camera. So I bought a new lens for it and I just made myself use it. And now I think that the like the video quality is way better than what I was doing and I'm used to it. But it was just that, you know, the, the point where you're used to doing something a certain way and then you're forced to change and it takes a little while to adjust. I was kind of at that point. But now I probably, I probably wouldn't even look at any other brands myself unless they come out with something extremely good (laughs) has mirrorless changed the game i believe it has especially with sam because silent shutter that and it's uh it's so compact well sort of when you put a big lens when you put a big lens on that stuff but (laughs) but no no shutter noise man no shutter noise is the best thing and when you turn them on they don't go you know the mirror is not doing anything and it's not making any noises like a dslr and as i said the sony's sensors are really really pushing the boundary on you know the quality of footage you can get in low light which is so important when it comes to well a lot of deer species but samba in particular because they're generally always you know they're nocturnal they're either out first light or last light that's generally when you're getting footage of samba deer so you need a good quality sensor, good quality glass to be, you know, letting enough light in to get that good quality footage. Definitely. It's, um, you know, it's funny. It's sort of, 
I've been done with it. Um, you know, you get a little bit lazy, you just take the phone out and, you know, you, you snap your photos and, uh, you know, it's all good for, for social media and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, when you, when you want to try and do anything with the photos, it, it makes a massive difference. And, uh, and obviously, you know, our, the new sponsor of the podcast is, you know, Arrowhead Magazine. And I spent some time with Dale Gove at the ATA show and, and they carried around the DSLRs, you know, taking photos of the, all the products there. And, yep. and I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, geez, you know, it's a pretty serious photo for that sort of thing. And then Doug quickly reminded me, he's like, yeah, but I can't do anything with them, you know, um, out of the phones. Like for the magazine, it's got to be such high quality, you know, the pixel rate and all those kind of things. That, um, yeah, that's right. And, and I thought, you know, that makes sense. So, you know, anybody out there that, you know, especially if you're going to do something with photos, maybe do some stories up for, for Arrowhead or something like that, um, you know, just just have a little think about that. They're a pain in the butt to carry the bigger cameras, but it can pay off in the long run, especially if you shoot that trophy of a lifetime or or going on a bigger trip and you're trying to do some scenery stuff and that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, even on that, the I, I use my phone a lot as well. I even, you know, I've, I put a, a phone mount and that on my bow. They're getting good. <laughs> they are, you know, like I've got the Samsung S7 at the moment and it, Hopefully it won't be long and the S9 will come out and I'll get one of them. The photo, but, the camera in that is unreal. Yeah, yeah. For, for like for the size of the phone and everything, it's it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I completely agree. It's you know, when you compare a you know, a larger, better quality camera, you know, compare a file off it to your phone photo there's you know there's definitely a big difference yeah yeah for sure i mean I, and, you know. and even video video is the same yeah I, I i'm still probably a little bit behind i'm i'm still doing everything in 1080 i haven't converted to 4k yet because <laughs> i just don't have i don't have the like the editing software and the computer to handle it yeah and it just fills memory cards so quickly that yeah i just I'm still using old 1080. <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, watching the boys, you know, film, filming over the States and, and obviously been a few times with them now of the boys at Bowhunt down under, at what they have to go through, um, credit to them, you know, they're very, very persistent and, and absolutely love it. But what they have to go through to, you know, to get the footage they get, you know, between charge and batteries and, and memory cards, oh my God, like, Yep. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> as much weight in memory cards as what there is in batteries, and, and it's nearly a suitcase just for that gear. It's unbelievable. And then, you know, you're carrying the drones, and, you know, yeah, they're very dedicated to to getting that shot, I suppose you could say. And um, But they get it. And, um, you know, then they turn around and spend ages editing it, and they want it absolutely perfect, but it, it comes out good. So, no, anyone that wants to carry the cameras around and, and and try and get the shot. I, I, I give it to you. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah. They take it a lot more serious than what I do. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I mean, they do it more than any, more than most, to be honest with you. But um, you know, you've got great content. As I said, I've I've, I've looked at a lot of it, and uh, and that's you know, I guess how it come out to to want to have a conversation with you because I'd seen your your connection with you know with Remy and and that kind of stuff, and and it, it straight away it sparked a sparked an interest. So um, you know. Well done, mate. Keep, keep it coming, I reckon. Oh, thank you. I'll definitely be. Well, I'll definitely be keeping content coming out. 
She's actually just barked at something. Like <laughs> Probably heard us talking about it. Probably. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, mate, I, I um, you know, all the best of the year. I hope, um, I hope New Zealand's a the first of many trips that um, you get around the world, mate. It's a, it's something that uh, obviously I'm very passionate about, it, mate. But uh, you know, I hope you can you can travel and, and see a lot more, and and uh, you know, all the best with success over there. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's the plan. Like, hopefully, it will definitely won't be the last trip. I'll be hopefully planning on planning some more trips soon. I want to try to get back up with Nick Morton and even out with Aiden Doomsis and that soon, try and get onto some different species and get them down here and chasing Samba. So, yeah. Yeah. Keep in touch, Good, good times we'll, ahead, that's for sure. We'll get you sorted. We'll get you lost anyway. But, uh, we'll, um, <laughs> yeah, mate, we'll, we'll make that happen. And, uh, and one question I always ask, you know, is um, whether it's recorded or not, but what's what's the dream animal? Oh, jeez. I probably already shot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 31 and a half inch stag on the wall is probably up yeah, there. Yeah, it's up there. <laughs> um, prob- probably a better stag than that one. Yeah, good on you, mate, because sticking to your roots, it's good to hear. Because everyone, you know, obviously generally says, you know, something big overseas or something like that, but it's awesome to, um, you know, to hear you say that. That's, it just shows you how, you know, how much they, uh, I guess they get you fired up, I suppose. Yeah, the the bug certainly bitten. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I told you one of my original messages. I'm worried about uh, hunting yeah. Sam because like that could be the enemy. Yeah, you you, you basically want to just move up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be a problem. But uh, no, nah, good stuff, mate. <laughs> well, look once again. Thank you very much for time. Um, let everyone know quickly. YouTube channel can how they follow you on Instagram, Facebook. Give us it. Uh, um, give us all that again. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube's all the same. It's just Tony Gillahan. That's just my name. So if you search that, you're going to find me pretty quick and easy. And on YouTube, if you search TG Outdoors, you'll you'll see all my videos pop up straight away. Awesome, mate. Uh, everyone, check it out, and um, you'll you'll meet Remy. It uh, it's a good watch. So, uh, mate, thanks again, and uh, we'll chat to you soon. Cheers, mate. Good on you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Hunting Camp Down in the Podcast. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Hoyt Bow Hunting, Arrowhead Magazine, and Abbey Archery. That's all for me this week. All the best in the hills, and look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.